Hello, everyone. It's Wilka Nascimento here. I am the Leadership Talks podcast host. And today I have a very special guest directly from Amsterdam, Femi Thomas. Welcome to the show. Hey, Wilka. Thank you very much. And hello to all the listeners today. Woohoo. What time is it there right now? It is 6.03 p.m. And it's a remarkable feeling that it's still light outside because it feels like we are finally emerging from what what has felt like a very long winter oh my goodness hey you know i truly appreciate you taking the time to join um, the podcast today so this show is part of the black excellence series and i can't be more excited fami so i wanted to um you for you to give a background uh, to the listeners on your career um as you know a black man in the industry today Thank you, Wilka. I think maybe to start, I just should say, as I often do in these conversations, that everything I say today are my own thoughts and do not reflect the views of my employer. And then I want to thank you, Wilka, for everything that you do to contribute to the dialogue about uh, the Black experience about, and about Black excellence. Um, my career has been an interesting one. Uh, I've talked quite a bit on a number of different podcasts or, or different conversations about my journey um, first, by letting people know that I grew up uh, in a, a small, actually a pretty large in terms of number of people, uh, Nigerian family, uh, though I was born in the UK, but grew up in Nigeria in a family of very little means. And it meant that when I had the opportunity to then go live in the US, um, I was standing at a bus stop one day um, in Rockville, Maryland, uh, or just outside Rockville, Maryland. Uh, and there was a newspaper that had been left behind, and I think it was the third page of the newspaper that had a list of the highest paying jobs in the U.S. And number one was investment banker. I can't do math, so I was out of it. And I forget what number two was, but number three was almost specifically a, a law firm, a lawyer at a large law firm. It was, it was, there was some qualification to it, but it was something along those lines. And I figured I probably can do that. And that's how I made my decision to go to law school. And I tell you this for a reason, Wilka, which is one of the things that I've come to value over time is the importance of respecting each other's truths. So you'll often hear people say, I became a lawyer because my father was a lawyer, my grandfather was a lawyer, and it was in our family. Or I became a lawyer because I read lots of books when I was a child, and that introduced me to the concept of defending other people's rights and things like that. Or I observed some grave injustice. Or... Um, or I have a passion for it and I want to do good in the world. All of those things are good. That wasn't my experience. My experience was that I was very poor and I had a lot of family to support. And I had to find the path that got me to having a decent enough uh, paycheck to be able to do those things. And I know that often when I say that to people, they prefer to hear the stories that are about the passion and the drive and all these things but respecting each other's truths is a very important value that I've come to appreciate greatly. And so I share that with people to say, that's how I got into my profession as a lawyer. And then have eventually made my way uh, into uh, the, the hospitality industry. So I'm a lawyer who's been practicing for um, a little bit shy of 20 years now. I've lived in the US, uh, in the UK, in Japan, in South Africa, in Nigeria, uh, and now uh, a little bit in the Netherlands. Femi, we were neighbors back in the day. 
<laughs> absolutely were. I mean, Silver Spring was my old stomping ground as well. Actually, I just got a puppy this past weekend and I took him to the vet in Rockville. So it is so funny. It's what is small world, huh? World. So, Pammy, um, so this resilience, um, where is where does it come from? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, and I, I think um, it's a combination of childhood experiences that are formative in all of our lives, right? And many of that will come from uh, challenges or other obstacles you experience over time. But again, not all, not all. I do know many people who did not have the challenges that I experienced as a child, but nonetheless have built up um, uh, resilience in their DNA or as part of their, their personal uh, culture or ecosystem over time, either in response to some other stimulus over time or in preparation for what may come. I think what's important is for us to be true to ourselves and understand what exactly it is that drives us to succeed, however we define success, and what the skills and resources are that we need to get there. For me, resilience was one of those, and that resilience was largely born out of the need to adapt whether I was in an environment where English was a predominantly spoken language or whether I was in an environment where it wasn't or where it was a completely different culture or people who didn't look like me uh, or any one of the any one of the, num the number of variables uh, that people of color experience. And so that resilience becomes a little bit of a defense mechanism, but can also become a little bit of your, your recipe to success in that it starts to help you establish credibility with people who know that you can thrive in almost any environment because of, of years of preparation uh, doing so. So Femi, I truly appreciate what you mentioned about it's, it comes from your core, right? Your childhood and how success looks like for yourself. So you had you have had experiences in many different countries, different continents. Uh, what What is your experience, your personal experience driving around you know, these different scenarios and different professionals, different organizations has been, um, you know, as an African uh, man and, you know, in the corporate world? So the experience has been um, a medley. I've had many, many, I've been privileged to have many, many positive experiences over the course of my professional career and the elements of my personal life that also propel my professional career, right? It's, you don't always get to uh, segregate or separate these two things completely. There've also been many experiences that have been challenging. I think we've been speaking in, uh, in, in some circles I've been in lately about the importance of adopting this protagonist mindset where you sort of think about um, the role that you play in all of the things that happen in your orbit uh, instead of a victim mindset where you're thinking, all these things have happened to me because of who I am. Sometimes that is true. Many times that is true. But by adopting this protagonist mindset, I think I've been able to help shape some of these experiences to bend in my favor. Not all of them were pleasant. I've had many experiences either by virtue of representation. So being one of a very small number of other Black people in a large professional environment, being one of a very small number of Black people in a large academic environment, being one of a very small number of Black people in a, in a large communal environment where, I, where one lives, um, but nonetheless trying to find ways to distinguish oneself in those environments without sacrificing 
um, your own values. And this is the reason I often say to people that there is a need to have clarity early on about the things you're willing to sacrifice in order to achieve the objectives or the goals that you have. If you don't have that conversation with yourself, you may make trades that are uninformed, trades in terms of sacrificing something that you shouldn't, compromising or giving up on a point where you shouldn't, um, because you lack the time to assess properly or the full picture of information. And so with the absence of pressure, it's important that all of us take a step back and say, where do I wanna to get to? And what are the sacrifices I'm willing to make to get to that place? And that all of a sudden, I think, starts to help shape these various experiences such that they, while they may nonetheless sometimes be unpleasant, ultimately, I think I've been able to shape many of them to bend in my favor, either in propelling my career, creating the visibility that I need, or identifying the right networks to help me succeed. Oh my goodness. Like your, your answers are just like giving me more and more questions. And I wanted to hear from you in terms of the challenges that you had in, in you know, incurred in uh, around your career, but give me just like one example, because as well, you know, I'm from Brazil, I'm Latina. I've been in the U S throughout my career in hospitality industry. So if you could share one example and how did you overcome that would be amazing. Yeah, I'll share one. And the story of the overcoming is not a story I'm pr particularly proud of today, but it is my truth. So um, I, I first arrived in the U.S. when I was, um, I just graduated high school in Nigeria. I'd lived a little bit back and forth between the U.K. and Nigeria, but I graduated high school in Nigeria and subsequently arrived in the U.S. when I was sort of maybe 18 or thereabouts. Um, and what a lot of people fail to realize is that there's such a, a, a huge delta in culture, in infrastructure, in context. Not good or bad, right? We make a mistake when we say, oh, I've moved from West Africa to North America, and now everything here works and is good and so on. So that means everything back at home was not good. No, they had different sort of value points that were important to different people's lives. So I don't want to make a distinction that, that makes one better than the other, just say they're different. But that difference meant that a lot of the things that people around me already knew, whether they were things like foods, names of restaurants, pop culture references, jokes, movies, TV history, books they read as kids, I had none of those things. That was zero context. So imagine arriving in your new world having no context that is relatable and then showing up at school or university or at a job and having to go to lunch, have drinks with coworkers, interact, engage, lacking context. It makes it very difficult. And then you have a different accent uh, and you look different and representation is an issue. And so I found myself making a lot of sacrifices. This is where I've sort of come to think a lot about this concept of early identification of the sacrifices that matter most to us. Because I started doing things like not pronouncing the, my name the way that my mother would so that others would be comfortable and then I could fit in more. Started doing things like speaking with an accent that makes you understand me better and, not, and, and folks don't have to ask me, what did you say or say that again? And if I, could, if I could turn back that clock, I would not have done that. I would have held on to my, more of my culture 
that allowed me to be my unique self. And I would not have minded having to explain myself a second time if the issue the first time was that I pronounced the word in a way that you're not used to hearing. But instead, I allowed too much of myself to be shaped by the circumstance, failing to re realize that that circumstance was temporary. I don't now live in the same city that I did at the time. I don't now work in the same job I did at the time. I don't now believe in all the same things I did at the time, but I allowed a lot of my context to be shaped by those temporary situations. And so I did deal with it. And I did, again, bend that arc in my favor, but with the benefit of maturity and now being a father of two teenage kids, I would really hope that they tend to hold on more to their culture and extract the values out of those to propel them forward in life and not have to feel like they have to put on an armor every day or put on a face every day to fit in, blend in, or otherwise get along. Oh my gosh, Femi, this is so beautiful because also, you know, myself, I have encountered that, you know, from actually close friends that, you know, oh, I'm not going to invite Wilka for XYZ event because she's loud. And when that came to, you know, to me, to my knowledge, I was like, oh, wow, that's shocking because I thought we were friends, right? But also you, you have like this um, level of maturity that, oh, okay, we are friends in this particular box, which is fine. If I don't fit in the other box of your, your friendship, I'm going to also shape your you and me in a different box. So it's like how you privilege uh, your time, right? You give your time to others and how you share this common energy, right? Because if we are all expats, uh, we all have this beautiful culture that we have to enhance and show off to the world because like you said you know those are um knowledge that made who you are today and it's so beautiful that you're passing on to your children because the culture right like even for me um this past weekend actually I was just sharing a quick uh, story I was with my sister and Femi in Brazil we had dogs right all our lives and it's been 17 years that I've been in the United States and I've been like, I want a dog. I want a dog. Why haven't I got a puppy before? You know, because I was self-conscious that I don't have my family here. How I'm going to deal with my work and my travels. And even my neighbor this last week, he was like, are you going to have time for a dog? Because he sees me coming in and out and traveling XYZ. So, and I, I he made me think because it's like, wow. People really, they keep the, their eyes on you, um, but they don't know who you actually are. Because if I want to make time for my dog, for my puppy, I will. And with pleasure, because this brings me so much joy. And it's the same way when you uh, wanted to, you know, look forward to have a family, for example, I would think, um, you know, and, and it is just so amazing that. For me as well as a woman and, you know, a Portuguese native speaker, uh, this difference of the differences on the accent and knowledge culturally, I still find myself like I cannot go to trivia night because I don't know anything. <laughs> Even though I've been in the U.S. for 17 years. But hey, you know what? I guarantee you I know some fun facts about Brazil that you don't know because I lived, I was, you know, born and raised 
in that culture. And yeah. um, matter of fact, in Brazil, we have the highest number of Africans outside of Africa. Yep. And I just went to Salvador Bahia um, the last December for the very first time. And I was so amazed to be, you know, in that place and learning about the culture and how people lived in that area, right? Because Brazil, it's a huge country too. Um, so, you know, I totally can um, uh, very much so um, relate to what you just mentioned. Uh, but I know that also you just said that you lived in Japan. That's a completely 360 difference, no? It is. You know, I spent a year working in Japan. This was back when I was uh, uh, an associate attorney working at a law firm um, and lived in sort of moved around three cities uh, in Japan, Tokyo, and then two other smaller uh, business towns. Very, very different culture. Absolutely loved it. And to be honest with you, it was one of those experiences that really opened up my mind to thinking, why is it the case that perhaps very, very much the case for West African cultures, and then maybe for um, some other cultures as well, where we tend to not be as comfortable with exporting our music, our food, our, our cultural or, or ethnic clothing and other things. But here I was in Japan, where there was a tremendous amount of national pride whether it is in food, in dress, in the way that you greet and interact with people and all of those things form part of that identity. And, um, and I, I'm glad that today we are seeing a lot more of uh, African music on the international stage, not enough of African food on the international stage in terms of, you know, if you look at the restaurant scenes in major cities, but African music certainly making it out there. But to your question about Japan, extremely very different culture, even from whether not only from a sort of an African now living in Asia perspective, but sort of any sort of uh, nationality living in a city uh, as vibrant uh, and uh, energetic as uh, Tokyo is. I learned a little bit of Japanese at the time. I've since forgotten it, but it has still been one of the favorite places I've lived in, I think maybe second only to uh, South Africa. Wow, what a chihuahua will <laughs> I had Japanese roommates back when I moved to Albany, New York. It's so wow. amazing. But what yeah. other languages do you speak, Femi? Uh, I speak Yoruba, which is a native language spoken in much of the south uh, of Nigeria and, and some other parts of West Africa as well. I think even in Brazil, there are some communities where uh, Yoruba culture is very, uh, uh, very much um, a part of the way of life. Uh, and then I speak English and uh, uh, that's about it. I fumble my way through a little bit of Spanish, but uh, Yoruba and English. Wow, fantastic. And, you know, living in um, New York City, I did try some Nigerian cuisine and I love fufu with the spicy food. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it so you know Ni Nigeria and much of West Africa have really very interesting foods. Of course, for those who are listening and don't know, uh, there's going to be a lot of meat fried multiple times and a lot of spice. Like that's sort of you know, generally the way it's going to go. And then really uh, a lot of healthy components as well, vegetables. Um, uh, and then th then there's an unhealthy amount of carbs in there. But you know the thing that I remember most from growing up in Nigeria is that. 
every meal that we ate was very fresh for a, for a, for a bit of a bad reason, but it was very fresh. The bad reason was um, electricity supply in Nigeria and much of West Africa is, is erratic. Uh, and so most homes will have electricity for um, less than a full day which meant that the concept of refrigeration, of course, refrigerators exist and they're, they're all over the place, but the concept of refrigerating your food and cooking and then keeping it for uh, you know a couple of days was fairly alien. So we grew up really eating incredibly healthy uh, food without any pres uh, preservatives or anything like that. Um, now, of course, that's changing as uh, the, the electricity situation improves through different sorts of means, but at least that memory growing up as a child of, Sort of being able to even on a on uh, from a home with low means, nonetheless knowing that if you were eating fish, it just came out of the ocean. I can never forget forget that that as a pleasant memory. Oh my gosh, Femi! We can talk all day about you know the similarities because I am definitely a fishing woman. <laughs> I'm obsessed about going fishing in the summer here. It's hilarious because <laughs> this was a, like an activity that I did with my father growing up and I'm so competitive fishing it's not even fun it's it's crazy you know but anyway uh we are not here to talk about my fishing <laughs> experiences in the U.S. <laughs> but uh I wanted to hear from you I know that we are getting to you know our time and I want to be respectful um what would be your suggestions for the young generation coming into the workforce these days um you know having this difference uh, of culture and diversity that are you really like really uh, the world is embrace, embracing those two aspects uh, diverse culture and you know work-life balance as well yeah there are a few things so to, to remember we, we talked a little bit about the sacrifice point that's an important one I want to just remind people it's important especially for the younger generation coming out of university or coming out of high school or, or college or wherever and, and figuring out what you want to do next, um, start to think, where do I want to get to? What am I willing to give up to get there? And don't let people define that for you. Take advice, but don't let people define that for you. That is your job to do. You define that, not others. The second is the importance of establishing and using a network. So I hear a lot of people talk about the network and your network is your net worth and all these things. But I tell you, Wilka, I still see every day young folks who have the network, but then they're doing too much on their own without leveraging that network. So I have people who will reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, I see that you've made the same journey that I want to make, and I want to be in touch, and I want to do this, I want to do that. And I'll say yes, and I'll set up a call, and we'll have a conversation, and they will never ask me to do anything for them. They'll never ask me to invite them into my office and let them see what a day uh, uh, in the life of somebody who works in the hospitality industry or, or in the law uh, uh, um, uh, sector is like. They'll never ask if I have other resources that might be relevant to what they do. But they might say, sometimes somebody might ask me very directly, have you got a role that you can hire for? Okay, I get that. And if I have a role, I'm happy to do that. But there are many other things you can use your network for. And I'm just not seeing folks leverage those networks well enough. So the second point is make your network work for you. It's there for a reason. You're cultivating those relationships for a reason. What you need to be able to do is when you get to your stage in life, make sure that you are now somebody else's network where they can use you as well and leverage you as well. 
The third thing that I've been more recently saying to people is um, fighting against this idea, this concept that was planted in my head as a child of faking it till you make it. I get it. I get where it came from. I get what the idea was, but I think it's becoming a little problematic because I'm seeing younger folks rocking up on the scene and thinking, I'm going to put on this suit and this tie and I'm going to, you know, drive a, a clean looking car and do all of these things to look like the success that I want to be. And then organically, that's going to come to me. Okay. Again, I get it, but that's not working anymore. I know that as a hiring manager, fake it till you make it is not getting past me. So who is it working for, right? So I'm, I'm, I've over the course of my career had to hire in many, many different roles and that's never really worked for me to see. I can tell that a person is doing whatever we, we might call fake it till you make it. So instead we've got to encourage people to develop that discipline of work, visibility and a track record of credibility. Right, So you've got to have the ability to identify work that is the right sort of space for you to be in. You've got to know how to leverage whatever resources are available to create visibility around the work that you do. And you've got to be able to establish credibility long term. And those things do not come from any type of faking anything. So again, respecting and understanding where it came from when we said to people, fake it till you make it but saying now that this young generation where uh, we are more diverse and distanced, we're not sitting in the same room a lot of the time, this young generation needs some guidance other than fake it till you make it. Amazing, Femi. I call this, actually, I say it's the personal branding, right? Your uh, experience and work-wise, but also if you don't really show off what you have been doing, own your work in your career and having these connections like I use LinkedIn as my bread and butter you know throughout my career has been this way not just after pandemic I've been working on this for a while and I'm always trying to you know be curious and be also attentive to um, who I wanted to be connected with who I wanted to give the stage to because it is relationships in the end of the day, you know, like I know for a fact, if I go to um, Nigeria tomorrow, it's a fact. I can connect with people that I have had conversations and meet for coffee, right? It's the same way anywhere in the world that I wanted to visit. So visiting is beautiful, yes. But also when you focus yourself and you want to apply for a position in Japan, in Nigeria, in South Africa, in Brazil, you have this niche of professionals. That's why the internet is here today. And some people almost don't want to believe that it actually works because they don't put the work into it, right? Yeah. So Femi, yeah. I thank you so very much for your time. I truly appreciate you. And any final words? I'll just say very quickly, last point is, uh, can I encourage folks who listen to do two things, please? One, localize your inspiration. So I often hear people say, oh, I want to be just like Barack Obama and, and, that's, and he inspires me and so on. That's wonderful. I love Obama too. But I don't know him personally. 
and I might never meet him. And I don't even know if he were my manager, that he would be the type of manager who would motivate me. I don't know. He may be, he may not be. I don't know. Find yourself some people who inspire you, who are local to you. Ones you can interact with, engage with, challenge, be challenged by. It's good to also have these more loftier ones, but you need local inspiration. People who you can actually connect with, relate with, and be sure that they have some alignment with what you, who you are and what you want to be. And the second thing is, please support the conversations. Participate in your various companies and employee resource groups um, uh, and really be part of the conversation because if not, we're not speaking loudly enough and we're not speaking with one voice. Other than that, I want to thank you very much, Wilka, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. Femi Thomas, thank you so much for being here today at the Leadership Talks podcast, Black Excellence Series. Have a great day, everyone.